I'm Christian Bush. And I'm Cindy Watts. Welcome to our podcast, 52. I turned 52 this year, believe it or not, and I am releasing 52 songs to celebrate. This podcast looks at the relationship between my 52 new songs and 52 of my most popular songs from my back catalog, with plenty of stories and laughs along the way. I heard Tennessee Plates the first time several years ago, and it was a song that just stayed with me. I never forgot about it. Every time you put out new music or you told me you were going to put out new music, I hoped, fingers crossed, that was going to be that song. And it never was until now. (laughs) So I'm excited that everyone gets to be in on the secret. A full disclosure, uh, Cindy and I are both from the same hometown. So uh, if you have a map or if you have Google Maps, um, you can type in Sevierville, Tennessee, and you will see its location. Uh, It's uh, close to Dollywood, but also it's, it's really at the foothills of the Smoky Mountains where we grew up. So... Whenever I put Tennessee in a song, there's a pretty high chance that I'm going to be weepy. <laughs> it's going to hit you in your special home spot. <laughs> uh, Tennessee Plates is a very interesting song. So my brother and I lost our father about three or four years ago. And, um, he grew up and and lived in East Tennessee and he had moved to Dandridge after he and my mom had divorced and he had remarried and he spent the remainder of his life there. And, um, I was, uh, on my way to the funeral and I had been experimenting with this kind of new feature of the iPhone that I had discovered where you can speak into it. If you were, have the notes app open and it will, try its best to translate your accent (laughs) into the English language. Right. And I was taking the time at stoplights that whole summer, because I was in the middle of writing the Troubadour musical of trying to just write a song during the duration of a stoplight, which is around 90 something seconds. And I was on the way to the funeral, dad's funeral. And it was in Dandridge. And uh, if you know where that is or Newport and Off the exit, you know, you can go, there's like a three-way stop there when you get from the road that comes from the interstate to Main Street. And you can, you can kind of see from the stoplight, you can see the funeral home to your right, like a couple blocks down. Because it's a tiny town. It's a tiny town. And uh, anyway, I, I, I dictated what became most of this song into the phone at the stoplight right there on the way to dad's funeral. And of course, it was colored by kind of the emotions you were experiencing in that moment, right? Sitting in this small town, kind of faced with family and acquaintances that maybe you wanted to see and maybe you didn't. I mean, that's a lot to process. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and it was also weird because, you know, dad was um, my whole life. He wasn't really much of a a supporter of my brother and I doing music up until we started to really succeed. And then he was like all on board and on the message boards and we had to calm him down because he was just too excited, you know, but it was one of those moments as a kid or as an adult, you have to really decide about your parents. Do you, do you, do you carry a grudge 
do you let it go? How, how, you know, where do you find grace for yourself in that? Where do you find grace for your parents? And uh, I, I just couldn't help but realize sitting at that stop sign or at that stoplight that these are the people that told me that I would never make it. And these are also the people that without them telling me that, I'm not sure I would have. <laughs> Because I was pushing back against what they said was impossible. And sometimes that stuff becomes your fuel. Um, and then the song at the very beginning, you'll, you'll, you'll hear me be pretty self-conscious about thinking that the guy next to me in the car waiting at this same stoplight might think I'm totally crazy. Because it looks like you're talking to yourself. <laughs> yeah, you can't really tell. <laughs> That's all right. If you're ever next to me in a stop stoplight and you see me talking uh, my my daughter and I play a game bluetooth or crazy <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic oh that's so, fantastic here let's listen to the song let's hear the song god bless the town I came from god bless the city next to it God bless everybody out there that told me I couldn't do it. God bless where I'm going. God bless my mistakes. God bless the road that's rolling underneath these Tennessee plates. If you look over and it looks like I'm talking to myself, probably just saying a prayer. Spot all the way up and back down the mountaintop to the deep blue sea and everywhere in between. God bless the town I came from. God bless the city next to it. God bless everybody out there that told me I couldn't do it. God bless where I'm going. God bless my mistakes. God bless the road that's rolling underneath these Tennessee plates. If you're wondering who I am, I'm the one that can't stop chasing the sun that's wild I'm headed west. Sign says Mississippi River's on up ahead. I'm hear that I really do feel like that's the precursor to baby girl 
Because when you're chasing the sunset, you're leaving that small town for what comes next. <laughs> and baby girl is what comes next. That's amazing. I hadn't really thought about that that way. I just always grouped them together because it has to do with the early fire, you know, and, and maybe I'm, I'm talking about it in a different way because dad is now passed away. Whereas something like baby girl was like, honestly, maybe more about mom and, you know, could I ever pay her back for what she's some, you know, loaned me or believed in me when nobody else did. Right. And it, but I, I just hadn't thought of it that way. They are connected like that, aren't they? They are. Huh. You started in the middle and wrote backwards with those two. <laughs> I feel like Bill Anderson or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I I love that people are now going to get to hear Tennessee Plates because it, it turned out to be, uh, you know, I wrote that literally a week after dad passed because I was in the co-write with the the, the, the men that wrote that with me, um, it was a co-write I had to reschedule a bunch of times. Um, but it was a, a man that I'd met at a St. Jude uh, uh, event uh, named Rodney Clausen. Very nice, nice man. He's been very successful. Um, but he was just so kind when I walked in that room because I told him, I said, you know, I don't really have much in me. My, my dad just passed. And I was thinking to myself, I didn't want to have to reschedule again because he was so important. And I, I know I needed to learn something from him, you know. And he was like, well, don't worry about it. I got you. You know, he's like a really, really super kind guy. And I had even brought along a friend who had wanted to write with Rodney but hadn't been able to get a chance to do it named Andrew DeRoberts. And Andrew was like, you know, all hope and, 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 and inspiration. And, and I'm sitting there in full, you know, kind of emotional grief, despair. Cause if you know anything about grief, it's always a physical and emotional experience. And Rodney was like, well, what you got? And I said, well, I got this kind of crazy stuff. I've been writing at stoplights, but I don't have much more than that. And he was, well, read a few of them to me. And I got to that one. He said, well, there's our song. <laughs> and if Rodney said it, it must be true. <laughs> Must be true. Uh, all right. Well, let's move on to this uh, this pairing. This is like a wine and cheese pairing is now what I'm thinking about. Oh, we should have wine and cheese. <laughs> Note to self, as we go through this, we will have pairings. We'll have pairings. And then we can listen back to these over the course of the season and see how the wine and cheese pairing impacts the uh, storytelling. <laughs> I love this. On the podcast. This was such a great idea. I'm so glad we're doing this. <laughs> if you're coming in late, um, Cindy and I are here talking about songs from uh, from 52, which is my new record. But also, um, we are pairing them with songs that uh, I have written, produced, uh, been a part of in the past that you can already find. Because, you know, sometimes you, you, you need to know where you've been to know where you're going. Uh, this next song is one of is the very first single for Sugarland, um, and I still nearly drive off the road every time I hear it on the radio, because um, when it was written, it was not a hit song. It was just a song on a Tuesday that we wrote, and and you didn't know when you wrote that song that it was going to be what it's become. 
No. You had no inkling. No idea. I knew it was singable, but singable songs are what I love. So um, I actually thought that for some reason, I thought maybe people would think it's too long. <laughs> it's never occurred to me, Christian. Never one time. But I, I love the story of it because it's so true to who we were at the time and who we are kind of every time we step up to play songs, right? Which is this, um, you know, all my songs are wishes. And this is a wish to pay back my parents for the money I borrowed for wanting to be a musician. It's hope is what it is. It's a wish for you. It's hope for everyone else. I'm really, this song has been so good to me. And uh, I even play it almost all the time I go on to the Opry. I, I play the me version of it, you know, where it's, you hear the bearded guy version of it. You don't imitate Jennifer at the <laughs> Opry because I'm definitely going to come <laughs> if that's going to happen. Oh my gosh. Um, so anyway, uh, I guess you should, you should all hear this. Let's uh, listen. Baby girl. Stay up all night Well, I don't know Can't see them For the glow of the neon lights And it's a long way From here To the place where the home fires burn Well, it's 2,000 miles And one day of turn Dear mom and dad Please send money I'm so broke that it ain't funny Well, I don't need much It's enough to get me through
fantastic that song is uh i was just doing the math it's 18 years old so it's about to graduate high school (laughs) yeah that song is about to graduate high school much almost like my daughter almost like your daughter (laughs) i will never forget the record company asking me if i would uh leave the bedside of my my wife at the time uh who had our brand new baby daughter in her arms to go to the parking lot to call country radio to ask them to play the song more because it was sitting at number two. So she was holding your baby girl and you had to leave your actual baby girl to go to the parking lot to pitch the proverbial baby girl. (laughs) Yes. And you know, that song was never a number one. It was a number two song. Well, that was God punishing you for (laughs) leaving the baby. And actually, and I don't care at all. I, 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 I never even knew what, I mean, Billy Pilgrim had had a couple number ones, but not on country radio, you know? So I, I didn't understand what that meant, nor I was just happy to have a job, uh, much less a band at the time. Well, I think if there's ever an anecdote, um, or a bomb for someone who was upset that their song didn't hit the top the success of Baby Girl and what it meant to Sugarland and what it continues to mean to country music fans 18 years later oh, is it. It's crazy. Somebody told me the other day that if you look at it, uh, the recurrent plays on it, if it was actively on the chart, it's still at number 35. That's amazing. 19, 18 years later. <laughs> wow. So that that song is like a, well, I think it's what's great about it. It's also the story of the band, right? Yeah. Which is if I could, I would, I would want to start a band that succeeded so much that I could call my parents and say, I got this (laughs) and I'm going to pay you back for what I borrowed. Well, tell me about the day that you wrote it. I don't know that story. Yeah. Um, okay. So at the time we were actually just looking for a singer and we had been through, um, maybe four auditions already. And one of the criteria for the audition was, We wanted to make sure we wrote a song with whomever it was that was singing because you wanted a creative partner, not just a performance partner. And funny enough, if you look at that first Sugarland record, half of them don't have Jennifer on it. They have the actual original people who auditioned. Wow. And, and we left those records on those songs on there. Didn't you tell me that Sugarland got its name from a song you wrote with a singer you yes. didn't hire? Yeah. That's what I thought. Uh, Vanessa Olivares, who now has many bands here in town and is a great songwriter. She she was from Sugarland. And when I asked her where she was from, she said, well, uh, I grew up here in Atlanta, but I'm from Sugarland. And she never told me what that was. She never qualified it with like a 
like Sugarland, uh, in Texas yeah, or Sugarland, no Alaska. Idea. Yeah. And and it was right after all those planes and things had gone into buildings, and it was really a sad time. And th- this band was hopefully becoming something that I thought was going to be good. Like it was a force for good in the world. <laughs> so when she told me she was from there, I thought to myself, God, I want to be from there. And I wrote most of that song uh, in the shower the next day. And then when she came, she came back in for the rest of her audition, we wrote it the next day and it took two records for it to show up on a Sherland record. But um, you'll see that like fly away. We wrote with uh, Corey English who's now married to Ty Bentley and she's a uh, artist, great singer, great songwriter. Um, yeah. You can kind of go through the credits of those Sugarland records and you'll, you'll find out the history of the band, but Jennifer came in and that was the second song we wrote. We wrote one called honky tonk heaven, which I thought was pretty funny. And, uh, and then the next day we wrote baby girl and it definitely was a, Oh my God, that's good. I can't wait to record that. And we did. We started demos of that literally the next morning. And I must have recorded that song six times before it got to the record label in Nashville. So at what point did Jennifer get the job? Uh, That day, I think. Really, it it was less us offering and more her deciding if this is what she wants to do because she was successful at the time as a solo act. So uh, this this would be, um, at the time, something in addition to what she was doing, much like it was a bit of a side project for me at, with Billy Pilgrim because people already knew Billy Pilgrim. We had had hits in the world, and we were on big radio stations, and we had a record deal and things like that, but they just weren't expecting me to write or sing country music. Right. That was just not in the vernacular of this alt folk rock group (laughs) so when you were writing about that song when you were writing that song were you thinking about your parents and and what you wanted to give back to them or were you just thinking that you know man there's a whole bunch of other people out there like me and i'm gonna write a song for all of us probably both but i think it was very personal yeah i think it was uh because we didn't know each other well it was what we had in common which is a lot of what co-writes are You know, it's kind of like the Venn diagram of your life and my life has this similar experience. And, uh, and then I think that, you know, a lot of the time that I write with people, I'm very contagious. (laughs) So I I can get very excited in a room and and sometimes it bleeds onto people. And I, I love to write songs sometimes as wishes, as what I want to have happen, just in case, you know, that somebody might want to be my girlfriend or somebody might, you know, whatever. But this was just in case we were to ever succeed. Wouldn't it be cool that the first thing you did was pay your parents back instead of go buy a car, (laughs) you know? So now what everyone wants to know is what was the first thing you did? I, uh, I paid back two friends that had, loaned me money. But you got to remember, we didn't take any advances at Sugarland. So when you saw us on TV or whatever, we were, I, st- I was still working a job. What were you doing? From the hotel room. <laughs> what were you doing? Um, I was uh, programming, computer programming at the time. 
because it could give me uh, insurance, you know, because I just had a child, and I I, uh, I needed a job that I could do from like seven in the morning to like noon. So when I was out on radio tour, you know, I could I could keep it going. Um, I, I needed a job that I didn't have to work in person, so that was helpful. Jennifer was still playing solo shows. That's how she was doing it, you know, and because we didn't take advances when we did finally get a check, you know, we didn't have publishers. We didn't have any of that. It came very late, but when it did show up, it was a big check. It was worth the wait. It was totally worth the wait. It was the thing they tell you about in all the little, like, uh, you know, how to be an artist books that you get at the library. They're like, well, if you'll just like take the long road instead of the short road, the checks are so much bigger. And I was like, yeah, well, okay. And then it totally worked this time. When did you realize that Sugarland was working, that baby girl was, was going to connect, that it was going to change your life? Oh, I don't think I even realized it would until. Uh, I think it might've been, um, when people were singing it the way they were singing it back at shows, but mostly it was in the meet and greet lines. And I stories. think that's, it was in the stories that people were telling me because they would go, hi, um, can you say something to this person in my phone? This is my daughter and this is our song. And I want you to just be able to say hi to them. And when I realized that our song was connecting people, it wasn't connecting them to us. It was connecting them to each other. And that's when I knew, oh, this is, this is contagious. It's, this is not, it's not about me and it's not about Jennifer and it's not about even the band Sugarland. It's about whatever this song is doing to these people because rarely does anyone ever say, ooh, that's my favorite singer. They almost always say, that's my favorite song. I love it. So when you think about it, if that song had gone number one, it would have been, would it have been so big in your head that you would have worried about topping it? I almost wonder if making it, having it land at number two was almost a saving grace because you hear people all the time talk about, I could never top that hit. I could never, you know, Lady Annabellum still talks about stressing out over topping Need You Now. I mean, would you have been in that boat if Baby Girl had gone number one? I don't know. I, I think the best advice I ever got was from uh, was from Edinger and and uh, John Edinger and and uh, Damon Moberly over there and um, Charlie Wait, Dean. Those people that were running the radio stuff for Mercury at the time, and they, I think they were trying to to protect us a little bit. But the advice that we got was like, look guys, it's no big deal because you're not getting a number one. It's no. And I was like, are you kidding me? This is like a dream come true. And they were like, look, if we can give you any advice, just stop looking at the charts now. So on the first song, we got this advice of like, don't get lost in this. This is not a judgment call on how good you are. You know? Um, and that was, that's a powerful thing to learn as a new artist in this town. And it, it, I think it helped me. I, I saw so many people that were friends of mine, even later, even now 
They get so their their um their value system about how they feel about themselves, you know, like the way they see themselves in the mirror is based on that chart. And that's just not true. You are still awesome, <laughs> whether that chart has decided to bless you with that or not. You know, the only people who truly, truly care about that are your record company and your publisher and maybe, maybe the radio station because they, a lot of times those guys are lifting you up. Um, you know, they're the, as much bad rap as country radio gets, these guys, they truly go through a process of believing in you. If you were going to give yourself 18 years ago advice now, what would you say? I would say, uh, this is not your last album and this is not your last chance. Cause I think when you're in it, you think it is. You definitely think it is. Hey everybody, Christian Bush here. Cindy Watts. And we would like to thank you for joining us for another episode of 52. If you'd like to write us with questions or comments, you can contact us at 52thepodcast at gmail.com. That is the number 52. Also remember, the best way to help us is to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcast. Please and thank you. You can follow me at Christian Bush on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And you can follow Cindy at Cindy Watts on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook as well. Thank you for listening and please join us next week.